The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 109 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier, and I hope everybody had a wonderful general conference weekend. There were some incredibly inspiring messages shared. I hope it was just great for you. Uh, Before we get into this week's episode, I want to thank former guest of the show and dear friend of mine, Anne-Marie Otanez, who left us a wonderful Facebook review, a five-star review. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. We love those reviews. And uh, if you want to hear Anne-Marie's story and what it's like being a member of the Tabernacle Choir, of which she was a member for many years, go check out episode nine. She was way back, literally a hundred episodes ago. Uh, This week in the conversation, my guest, Daniel L. Trotter, is just an amazing guy who has such an incredible story to tell about his life and overcoming addiction and overcoming trials I need to point out as part of his story, he did a 30-day fast, which still blows my mind. We are not recommending that you do a 30-day fast. Uh, Really, there are some health risks to it. Uh, Daniel did it, and it's really an inspiring story. But I want to be very clear that we do not advocate in any way that you do this. But I loved sitting here with Daniel and his wife and her mother And there was such a great spirit here in our home. I was just, I love his story. You will too. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, I'll share something very personal with you and uh, as to why I hope that eight is enough. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here in the Latter-day Live studios, it is my pleasure to have an author, a singer-songwriter, a speaker, Daniel L. Trotter. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on the show. I read your bio and am blown away by your story, which we will get into, which is also the story of your book. But before we do, let's hear a little bit about Daniel L. Trotter. Where are you from, Daniel? Uh, Originally from Southern California, a small place called Blythe, California. I know where Blythe is, sure. Yes. I actually know Blythe. (laughs) Super hot, um, desert, um, not much to do out there. Is that technically high desert? (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of Palm Springs kind of area. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like growing up? Were you born into a Latter-day Saint family? I was. So uh, my parents were both members and they had nine kids. Nine kids. Yep. And um, and so life was kind of normal, you know, for yeah. for a big family. Um, your, your normal kind of, uh, you know, uh, sibling kind of rivalries here and there, but we were actually a pretty tight-knitted family. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, so Blythe was um, just a, a very um, small town. I think yeah. at the time it was probably 8,000 people <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. I don't and, know. And nine kids in Utah is still a lot. 
<laughs> and but it doesn't really turn heads the way it would in Blythe. Were you just known as the huge Mormon family? Everybody knew the Trotters. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and sometimes it was for a, a, a good reason, and sometimes not for. Did you um, have the big twelve passenger van? Yeah, we had a, a suburban. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and even at one time, uh, one point later down the road, we had like a limo. It was, it was a, you had a family limo. It, it was, it was, it was only a two door, but it was, there was this fold out seat in the back. So there was like three rows of seats. Oh, that's and so fun. you just, you know, my, my parents had to fit us all into something. So oh, that why is. Why not a limousine, huh? <laughs> it wasn't that glamorous, but. Oh, but you, know. you must've been the hero <laughs> of the neighborhood. There go the trotters in their limo. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> that's fun. You you grow up in this wonderful family. You get into high school, which is where people kind of develop who they are a little bit. Uh, what were you like there, Daniel? Yeah, and by the time I was in high school, um, I was living in San Clemente, California. Oh, okay. So you can Ooh, see the drastic nice change. change, right? <laughs> and um, and so your yeah, whole family was, moved to San Clemente. Yeah, we 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 moved a, a few times. Uh, um, the first move from Blythe, we went up to Washington State. My dad mm. um, opened up a Mexican restaurant, actually. He, awesome. ser- he served his mission in Chihuahua, Mexico, and um, he opened up, we opened up a restaurant up there. And then um, shortly after that, uh, my parents got a divorce mm. and kind of the whole family went inactive, all 11 people. And then we oh, moved wow. back down to uh, Southern California and was in San Clemente and Orange County in that area for yeah. probably junior high and high school years. Yeah. San Clemente, about an hour north of San Diego. Yeah. So did you move then with one of your parents? Um, when I lived there, I was with my dad. Yeah. Yeah. And my two other, uh, two of my older brothers. Did you miss going to church or did you just think, oh, this is something we don't do anymore? Well, you know, um, to come to think of it, I, I really don't know. Mm. Um, I think there was a lot going on. Um, um, I don't remember saying, Hey, you know, I think we should all continue to go to church. Right. Um, before the divorce, I was already getting into some trouble. And so I think I was going down a different path anyway, even just at a very, very young age. And, um, I think when that happened, it just kind of opened the doors for, um, other unhealthy things to come in. Yeah, and that's I know a big theme of your story is some some very unhealthy things. So that did that start in your teen years then? That started actually in Blythe where I was about 7 years old and and had my first cigarette. What drove these behaviors? Totally wanting to fit in. Yeah. Not not a rebellious uh side just um, you know, I think we become our environment mm-hmm. and and who we're around and we want to fit in. And especially as, as a young kid, uh, you just want to do what the, what the older kids were doing. As, as you're going into high school, did that lead into drinking and other things? Absolutely. Um, by the time I was in junior high, I was, I was drinking, uh, smoking, smoking pot. Um, in junior high? Yep. Doing crack even. I got heavily into- You were doing um, crack cocaine in junior high? Yes. So you were- what, 14, 13? 13. And of course, at that age, you feel like you're invincible. Yep. You know, like nothing can hurt me. Yep. So did you love the rush of drugs? Was it an escape for you? Was it the high of it? Or was it still just 
hey, it's what my friends do. It's what we do. Um, you know, people ask me that, you know, what was the emotion in it? Or was it because of the divorce or, you know, all of these things? And, and I just say, no, it was just, for me, it was, it was being around people that I like to be with and wanting to fit in. Yeah. And one thing led to another. And at that time, and if you talk to anybody in addiction, um, in the beginning, it's pretty fun. Yeah. But then one day you wake up and you say, how'd I get here? And yeah. so it just kind of um, came about that way to where um, I just felt like I was having fun. And I thought that it was a better life than people that were sober. Yeah. I, I thought, why would you want to be sober? I mean, that that's, that's boring. <laughs> so much fun to be high. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, it just kind of, again, it just kind of snowballed into, into different things. So where did, where did that lead you from there? Uh, led me into, uh, a lot of, like, like we're talking about a lot of different addictions, um, even a pornography at a, at a young age. Mm. Um, and then on my 16th birthday, I still remember my 16th birthday, I got into math. I did math for the first time. And Meth um, at 16. Yeah. Daniel, that is. Wow. I mean, that's scary. Yeah. Were your parents aware that this was going on? No. Um, you know, I think with living with my dad, um, he was, um, he was, obviously he was concerned, but he didn't want to, I don't think he really wanted to step in and um, he already knew we'd been through enough. Probably yeah. he felt bad about the whole situation. He didn't want to make it any worse. When did you realize that this was leading to addiction? Um, probably not until I reached about 25. Okay. I would say um, I moved up north to Santa Cruz. And so you had this party scene in in um, in San Clemente in Orange County. Yeah. And then Santa Cruz was just like, it was on steroids. Yeah. It was just, it was a totally different ball game. Um, the, the people, the environment, the, the temptations. So what were you doing? What, what were you doing with your time there? You know, my brother had moved up there. Um, and, um, I decided to move up and he got into, got in with the in crowd, um, on the West side there. This is a, um, uh, you know, these are people that just don't let anybody in yeah. their, their circle. And for some reason he, he got in there and then I kind of stepped in and it was at first, it was like, I felt like I was home. It mm. was the coolest thing ever. You know, I was meeting all kinds of people and, you know, a lot of girls and, and, you know, there were professional surfers and some, you know, some professional athletes that I had met, um, as well. And it was just this cool party scene. Yeah. And I just felt like, you know what, this was life. So what were you doing for work during this time? Um, there was a couple things that I did. Um, I did some construction. I also worked, um, as a cook in some, uh, some restaurants. Mm. Um, and so, um, yeah, that was pretty much it. Okay. But in that kind of a life, um, you tend to go, at least with me, um, job to job. It wasn't yeah. anywhere that I was um, at for a, for a long period of time. The social life and the partying, that was... Yeah, that, that was, was it. Where it was at, so... The, the, the job was just there to, so that you could go party. Right. You, know, that, you, you just had to find... <laughs> you just had to get some money to go and, and do the things that you wanted to do. So um, I was very irresponsible at, at that point in my life. Yeah. So what comes next? Well, you know... 
Um, I told you I did meth at 16 and um, for the first time and did that for a little while, kind of off and on. Um, Santa Cruz at the time, you know, 20 years ago was 25 years ago was big into cocaine. And so that's mm. what I was into. And then um, actually meth came in um, and that's when it really, my life was really in, in just, it was a wreck. And that's when I started thinking about, you know what, I am an addict and it, and it wasn't, um, I, I wasn't admitting that I was an alcoholic or, or addicted to cocaine or anything. It was, it was meth. I was definitely addicted to, but those other things as well. But meth was really my, you know, as, as people kind of say, you know, your rock bottom. Yeah. When all of a sudden, you know, you don't have a job, you don't have a home, yeah. you know, you don't have hope and you're just going, you know, kind of wandering, going house to house, um, couch surfing, wow. you know, trying to get a hotel, what, whatever it was. Mm. Um, and that was, that was my life. Did you have a moment? Was there a moment that you remember or was it just a slow burn that led you to realize you were an addict? I think it was slow, but um, there were a couple dramatic um, uh, events that had happened. Um, one was um, a, f um, a friend of mine who was um, dealing meth back then um, sold me some stuff that was not good. It, mm. it had obviously been, he had cut it with some other stuff. And so it wasn't great quality. And, um, you know, 90 bucks was, you know, a, a lot of money to, you know, for me at least sure. to, 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 to do that for. And, and I was hanging out with somebody that was pretty much feared by the whole town. And, um, he didn't like that. I had basically kind of gotten, um, ripped off. And so we went, um, to his house this guy's house mm. and I really didn't want to go, but this guy was pretty convincing and, um, just knocked on the door and kind of let himself in and, and, uh, took what he wanted, um, in, in replace of, of, of what, yeah. you know, what I got, you know, ripped off with. And, um, and that just started a whole kind of, you know, just open up a big can of worms because the guy that we, the house that we went into, he was very well known in mm. that town. And, um, um, and so it was, it was, um, it got to the point to where my life was actually threatened. Um, and I remember a friend calling me and telling me that I actually had a contract out for me and, and so I ended up going with a friend up north and kind of getting everything kind of settled down and, and got some help on kind of, um, you know, uh, diffusing that whole situation. And, um, and so I decided that I was going to leave. Um, and that was probably one of the big moments that said, Hey, maybe you need to do something about your life. Um, luckily I had some people, like I said, that helped diffuse that situation. So nobody could really, um, come and get me yeah. anymore, but, um, they sure didn't like me Ugh. and I had lost all respect 
and I had just lost my my welcome there by a lot of people, and that's when um, I decided to to leave and change my life, and I moved to Arkansas. Whoa, yeah. whoa, plot twist! I did not see <laughs> Arkansas. Neither this. did I. So why Arkansas? Well, my brother lived out there. Oh, okay. And I just, you know, we had some phone calls, and I said, you know, I just, I just really got to get out of here. And, and there's one thing that I say when you're in addiction. Um, Sometimes the best thing to do is to leave everyone and everything behind. Mm. I think people get trapped into their friends and, you know, it's like, yeah, but we've been bros for a long time. And, you know, I don't want to just kind of walk away, but sometimes you really have to. Yeah. So you pack up, you go to Arkansas, just you. Yep. A couple suitcases. Just me. Yep. And yeah. a couple suitcases. That was it. Jumped on a plane. And that's it. So did you go to Arkansas to tackle your addiction? Um, I just went to, to change my life yeah. and to start getting sober. And, and so what um, was that process like? Um, it was pretty interesting. Uh, first of all, I started having, um, well, first of all, I, I, um, uh, was having a pretty rough time and that's when I very first came back to religion. Mm. And so my brother introduced me to a, um, to someone at a past, uh, Baptist church and um, he gave me the Bible and I started reading in the New Testament mm. and it just came alive. And it was as if the book was speaking to me. And that was my first real adult experience with religion and with uh, the Bible. Awesome. Yeah. So what else did you do in Arkansas? I mean, it, the process of getting clean from an addiction to something like meth, not to mention all the other things. I mean, was this something you tried to tackle on your own? I did. And I did a, I tried a couple, um, programs, but you know, programs, you know, a few days, I mean, what's that going to do? Right. Um, it's a long time life-changing commitment. And so, um, I just started focusing on, um, you know, just staying clean. And then I started going to this Baptist church Yeah. and then, um, and, and usually when you're making a decision like that, opposition and challenge comes in. And that was when uh, my back hit me. Um, I had I had back issues since I was about 18, but it really hit me then. And it was so bad that I could barely even walk or even move. So I had to go in and have um, almost an emergency back surgery. Mm. And, um, um, and interestingly enough, the, the meth actually kept the pain away for a long time. And, and okay. And then um, once I got off, then that pain came back and did the surgery. And then that's when I started getting into health and fitness and, yeah. and started getting in the gym. So what was that journey? So, um, you know, you, you change one addiction to another. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually what happens. I've heard that before, that addicts go from <laughs> the negative addiction to the positive addiction. Yeah. And so... Um, I just started working out and getting healthy and, and, um, and I was in Arkansas for probably six or eight months and, and then ended up moving to Washington state, Arkansas, which is really drastic and it just wasn't for me. And so I moved to Washington state and got more into, um, health and fitness and then, um, ended up becoming a personal trainer and specialist mm. in nutrition. And, and you were totally clean at this point. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing that you were able to move on from it. I mean, that's inspiring. Yeah, it was, you know, when I left Santa Cruz, it was um 
just the, the grace of God. I don't know how exactly to explain it, but I think I, that's a great phrase for it. I literally quit alcohol, drugs, pornography, everything overnight. And um, I remember when I went to Arkansas, I probably smoked for about a month and then I quit that. Um, and I just never looked back. Mm. Um, I awesome. had some goals and, and goals, you know, help you um, um, through things because it's it's that why, right? You know, why do you want to be sober? And and so it helped me, but it was, uh, it was very challenging. But health and fitness gave me this... Um, um, you know, this edge to, sure. to, to, to just have something to do and, and look forward to and get healthy. And it was just the opposite of what I used to do. Mm. Did you consider yourself Baptist at this point up in Washington or did you leave religion behind? No, I actually um, came back to the church for a little while, um, made my way back. I actually went to all kinds of churches, to be honest mm. with you. I went to Pentecostal, I went to Baptist, kind of the new age Christian um, throughout my journey, I studied Buddha and in mm. all kinds of different areas, just looking for, you know, um, the truth and, and, and home and, and what was, um, the right place for me. My mom, um, you know, was semi-active, I mm. think. And she had some, um, friends and home teachers that would come by. And I think from just that interaction, I decided to come back and, and, um, you know, but I really wasn't in it. It, mm, it yeah. really wasn't, um, this conversion, this, this real, you know, change of heart that I needed. I think I was just still searching and it was a little more familiar to me than anywhere else. And so I kind of stayed there for a little while, but, um, that didn't last either. Yeah. So did you stay in Washington then? So I was in, so Richland, Washington was where my mom lived and I was there, um, for about three years. And then, you know, there was a lot going on with, with me at the time. Um, you could find out more about that in the book, but basically after three years, um, I just felt like giving up. And so one day I got off work and, and came home and I just started popping sleeping pills and I was just going to end it. And that was it. And, um, um, my mom called the ambulance and took me to the hospital and obviously I didn't do that right. Um, had, had suicidal thoughts been in your mind for a while? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's been, I think we're getting better, but I think there's been a, a, a really big stigma about um, suicide and yeah. how it's selfish and all of these kind of things. And it's like, well, you, you really have to understand that the person who is in it, in this dark, dark, deep hole with no ladder, yeah. no rope, no nothing, there's no hope, you're done. Your, your mind comes to the conclusion that there is absolutely nothing you can do about your situation. And so you're like, well, okay, then I guess this is what I need to do to get out of here. And really what you're trying to do is just get out of your, um, your, your life, your, your mm. state of mind, you know, because it, it doesn't matter where you go, right? There you are kind of that yeah. saying, and, uh, you bring this darkness with you and it just became so much and so overwhelming that I said, you know what, I just, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to check out. What did that lead you to next? Well, I um, my mom really didn't know what to do um, because I had been depressed for a long time and it finally hit me. How old were you at this time? 
Um, let me see. I was 31. Okay. And I had a great job. I was, um, you know, it's, it's so weird. I told you how irresponsible I was, but it was the complete opposite. Once I became sober, I was like this totally responsible person that was hard worker that, you know, paid his bills, you know, was really determined and, um, just a totally different person. Just like you're saying, a lot of people meet me and they just, they, they can't even believe um, yeah. that that was my life. Um, but from there, uh, my mom wasn't sure what to do. And so my dad lived a couple hours up North in Spokane, Washington. And so I went and moved up there, um, was in the third psychiatric facility that I had been in. And, um, you know, I know they're trying to help people, but it just didn't work. It just wasn't working. And I think at that point, a little bit after that point, um, I, I remember when I moved out of my dad's house and I was in an apartment and things just continued to happen to me. It was just, it was unbelievable how, one thing after another, after another, this, this, this pileup could just happen to somebody. I felt like I was cursed really. And I remember one day just taking all my stuff, anything that had to do with religion. And I just went outside and I threw it all in a dumpster. And I was just like, you know what? The gospel doesn't work. And my life is proof of that. I mean, <laughs> look at it. Yeah. I, I, this was supposed to be happiness in, oh. in, in what's going on. And so I had just um, given up on that. Did you, were your emotions that God must not be real or was it more of a God has forgotten me or just doesn't, doesn't work or did you have strong opinion that way? I felt like, um, I was in a game mm. and, and I was being played yeah. and it wasn't a fun game and I was done with the game. I wanted to get out of the game. I wanted to sit on the sideline, you know, be a spectator, whatever. I just, I didn't want to play anymore. Right. And, um, and it was just, um, it was just exhausting um, to continue to go through these things Ugh. over and over again. Can't even imagine. So this ends this time in Spokane. Where'd you go next? Well, I was still in Spokane. Um, I'll just kind of back up. Um, um, I was um, building a business called absolute fitness, you know, obviously a personal trainer specialized in nutrition. I was working at gold's gym and building this business, um, at the same time. And then, um, met somebody at the gym and we ended up getting married and we opened up, uh, a, a gym, a, mm. a gym called absolute fitness empowerment center. And it focused on the mind, the body and the spirit. And so I started to uh, get into the mind because it was really fascinating what my mind did yeah, <laughs> to, sure. to, to myself and, sure. and what was, what, what was its part in it and, um, ended up doing, um, you know, that certification in becoming a specialist in performance nutrition. We ended up closing the gym, um, just wasn't working out. There were many factors. Gyms uh, are high risk business. Especially when you open it right after 2008, when all of that hits oh, and geographically the area is not, um, yeah. you know, doesn't have a lot of money and, and, um, but it was necessary for that gym to close because what came next was, um, um, I went to, for a run one day and, and, and I came back and I went to put the toilet seat down and something happened to my back. And next thing you, you know, I'm, I'm actually, um, almost completely bedridden for 11 months. 
Whoa. More back problems. Yep. 11 months in bed. 11 months. So there's got to be a part of this, Daniel, of just what's next. Yeah. I get clean, I get sober, and all this happens. Mm -hmm. Close down the business. I mean, what an incredible test. So you're essentially bedridden. Couldn't work. Nope. For 11 months. 11 months. What did that do to you, like, emotionally? Um, You know, it, it was tough, but it gave me time to think about a lot of things. Self-reflect. Yeah. I did a lot of. That's when I started um, learning um, about Buddha, and I actually um, can relate to him very well. Actually, <laughs> um, he's got a similar story. Um, but I would meditate a lot during that time. I was in bed, and I had time to think. And that's when the question started coming up: like, what am I missing? Mm. Something is not right. You wow. know, what is it? And um, I had a, a back fusion at about eight months into there and then uh, three months of recovery. So there's, there's the 11 months. And then after that, I finally came to a point where I call it my rock bottom. So one day I was in the bedroom and I dropped to my knees mm. and it was complete surrender. And not because of your back. <laughs> nope. It was because yeah. of my life. It was yeah. just because of everything. And it was like, how does somebody change their life and it just gets worse for eight years? Yeah. You know, and, and there's there's moments of, you know, I got married in the gym and there's excitement, but but why won't it stick? You know, why why do things eventually fall apart? Right. And that's what kept happening. The job at Albertsons fell apart, the gym fell apart, my you know, all of this stuff just um, you know, I got to move somewhere else because I have this problem with depression. And, mm-hmm. and so I dropped to my knees and I just said, Heavenly Father, I need your help. And I said, I'm going to go over to the Bible that's on that, um, on that, uh, the dresser there. And I said, I'm going to open it. I'm going to point and just tell me what to do. And so I ended the prayer and I walked over and I opened the page and I pointed right to Jesus's 40 day fast. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I closed the book <laughs> and I just walked away and I, I kind of thought to myself, well, that was, that was a fluke. But a couple weeks later, I was still troubled. There was something in me, my spirit, I would say, that needed to find something and it would do whatever it took to, 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 to find it. I yeah. mean, it would literally drag me through the mud if it had to. Um, to find out what I needed and what was missing in my life. So I'm in the bedroom again. I'm praying again. I say that I, I, I ask the, I, I say the same thing. You know, I'm going to walk over the Bible, open the book and tell me what to do. And I walk over there and just, I, I open to the same page. You are kidding me. No. Nope. Was there a marker in it? Was there a crease? Was there something? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, all I know is that I opened it and, and, and there it was 40 day fast, 40 day fast. Uh, yep. And so, so so I started thinking serious about it. Um, and as I started to look back a little bit, the last few months, I noticed, huh, he has been hinting me, hinting this to me Mm. for a while. And so I go out to this campsite and it's mid-October. It's starting to get cold, and it's in Washington and in the woods. And and um, 
I go to pay for a 40 day, um, pass and they said I could only pay for a 30 in advance. So I agreed. And, and, um, to be honest with you, I didn't know if I was going to do a 30, 40 or 50 day fast. It, it, I just had to do it until I received the answers mm. I needed. And I was so desperate that I didn't even care if I died. It was like, I'm going to do this even if I die trying, trying, at least I gave my all and you know, I, and at least I'll, I'll be better off somewhere else <laughs> was oh, kind of my wow. attitude. So it was, it, I was so determined to find an answer that, um, and that's where Heavenly Father directed me and led me out to him. So when you say fast, first of all, how many days did it end up being? It was 30. 30 days of fasting. So what does that consist of? Tell us about those 30 days. What was I, your schedule? What was I, What was that like? You know, I did drink water, um, but I did not eat anything. Um, my days consisted of laying down a lot. Um, you know, you have no nutrients in your body. You're, you start becoming extremely tired, and so you have to conserve energy. And so um, a few days after that, um, granted, you know, you, you already know I, I had, you know, this another back surgery, my second back surgery, a fusion. And, and then a few months later, I'm, I'm out, you know, in the woods doing this. And, um, you would think that, you know, um, that wouldn't be the greatest time to do a fast right after, you know, a surgery like (laughs) that. Yeah, trying to recover. Sure. But another, um, thing has come to mind too, that, um, or, or during that time was, you know, Change is never convenient. <laughs> if it was, it wouldn't be change, right? Never. And so, um, you know, I'm out there and, and I'm, uh, you know, the, I'm in the tent and the, the, the ground, you know, and my back and it's just, it's just mm. kind of miserable. And so I have my wife, uh, bring the, the Jeep out like a Jeep Cherokee and the yeah. back folds down. And so we switch cars and, so grateful for that because I had like a pad. Yeah. And then so basically uh, a lot of my fast was laying in the back of a Jeep, reading scriptures uh, from the Bible, listening to um, some talks um, on letting go and, and different kind of things like that. Not not um, any kind of general conference talks, but yeah. just somebody that I was kind of studying. And So at the end of the 30 days, did you feel like you had come to an answer? Like... Absolutely. During that time, you know, I went through um, a repentance process Mm. that was unbelievable. It was, um, you know, it was like everything that I um, had done um, in my life was displayed on this mental screen. All the mistakes I made, Mm. all the people I hurt, I went through all of them. And I cried off and on for several days as my you know, life flashed before me. And so I had this deep um, repentance and forgiveness process. I, it it was like, it was just like Alma the Younger. I felt the pain of my sin. Mm. It it was, I was in the, in a state of a racked and tormented soul. But I'm so glad I did, um, or I was in, in that state or, or was able to, um, go through that because that was the moment my conversion took place. It was a true change. That is amazing. That sounds like 
one of the most deeply spiritual experiences I've ever heard of. So you're done with it. Pack up the, the Cherokee. Is that kind of weird leaving after 30 days? Well, it was actually day 30 and I was going down. I felt like I was in trouble, um, you know, and I prayed and prayed and pleaded with, with Heavenly Father with, with tears rolling down my face. And I remember saying, are, are we done yet? You know, can, can I go home now? Mm. And after a long plea, I went over and I opened the Bible and there it was in the Bible. It's in a verse that said, go home. No kidding. Yep. At the end of um, a verse in, I believe, Matthew. It said, go home. It said, go home. Exclamation point. I, I think it is, is what it was. It was a, it was a um, women's new international version or something. It was my wife's yeah. that, that I had out there. So I, I wasn't reading any um, church content or anything yeah. like that. But the message that I received was come back to me. Oh. And I knew it was come back to church. So you would think that my life would be great after that, right? That wasn't the case. Really? Um, no, I ended up losing everything else. I got a divorce. The business was gone. My health was gone. The, the marriage was gone. The house was gone. The steps and the dog, the whole thing. You know, it's, you know, I, I tell people I could write a country song about that. <laughs> um, and Daniel, so. Wow. How can somebody have that bad of luck is, yeah. is, is what was in my mind. And it was just like, it was unbelievable. You're a modern Job. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's, I felt like that, but there's a big difference. See, Job never complained. Um, <laughs> I complained. I had questions. I was frustrated. And I remember the first sure. day back to church, I, I was mad. And How did you end up coming back to church? I ended up moving uh, back in with my dad, and I started to go to church with him. Yeah, so he had gotten active again. Yep, he had been ap- active for a couple of years, a few years. And then I came back, and I knew that's where I needed to be. You went through a whole lot to end up back at church. Yeah, and, and I think it was because I needed um, more than a testimony. I, I I think a testimony will, will carry you so far, but as President Nelson says, um, it's not going to be enough as things begin yeah. to get harder. And so I needed this deep conversion, which was going to anchor me and, 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 and keep me um, in my faith uh, because Heavenly Father had plans for me. So you move back in with your dad, everything's gone, everything. Yep. You're starting over again. And that's the best place to start. Um, I, I think of it as, you know, say you, uh, you buy an old home, right? You buy this property, and yeah. it's this old home, and, but, but you want a new home to be, to be there. You, you, want, you want to do your own, you know, you want your own home there, a, a brand new home. Well, what's got to happen first? You got to tear down the old house, right? Yeah. And you got to rip up the foundation, and you got to start from there. And, and that's what he did was he just took this, this you know, uh, my life, my, my temple, my, you know, my situation, all of these things, and just tore it down and ripped the foundation up and then 
laid the foundation of the gospel, the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, mm. which comes from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Where are we today? Um, today is a is a totally different life. Um, you know, I was at my dad's for about a year and a half and going to church and, and got active and um, um, and and just to let you know, I did at at one point remove my name from church records, and so I had to get rebaptized. Mm. I had to get the priesthood again, and got all of that missionary lessons, all of it. And for about a year and a half, um, was doing that at my dad's, and um, and then felt like you know it was time to move on. And I said, well, I think I'm going to go back to San Clemente. Yeah, I'm I'm done with the snow up. Uh, I, in, I would. I'd up, go to San up in Spokane, yeah. and um, you know that was my big idea, and started getting the impression and and the spirit and the Lord was speaking to me saying, "What about Salt Lake?" And you had never lived in Salt Lake. Nope. Really? Nope. And he said Salt Lake. Yep. And I had um, a cousin or two. Yeah. But. Um, did you say I'd rather go back to the campsite for 30 days than go to Salt Lake? <laughs> no, you know, um, you would think, but at this point in my life, I felt like, you know what, I've, I've done things my way for a long time. Oh my gosh, I love that. And so love it. Why, why, not, why not just listen to what he has to say? So you head to, to Salt Lake. So I head to Salt Lake. and This um, is the place. Yep. And I, everything I own is in a car. It's just in my car. I don't even have a place to live. I, 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 I don't, because nobody's going to rent to somebody from out of town. You got to come see the place. Do you like it? Whatever. And so I just jumped in the car and I left and, um, it was a little scary, but yeah, I just, I just left and, um, and, um, and got pulled into Salt Lake and I ended up pulling right into LDS business college because of my back injury and, and all of that. I was, um, uh, the vocational services kind of kicked in and they were going to pay for my schooling. And so, uh, went there and stayed with a cousin for a couple of days, got a place right downtown. And two weeks later, um, I'm at music in the spoken word and that's where I met my wife. I should say your wonderful wife and mother-in-law are sitting here with us. So to have that kind of support is just awesome. So you guys met, how many years ago was that? That was six years ago. And what a turnaround. So tell us what you're doing now. Well, uh, let's get into the book. Gosh, yeah. let's get into the book and the music. So the book, which is called A Different Kind of Strong, Addiction and Adversity Leads to a 30-Day Fast and a Christ-Centered Life. I am so excited to devour this book. What what inspired you to write a book? You know, I actually uh, tried to write it twice back in Spokane when I was in during my first marriage, mm. when I was in bed for that time. And it was, um, it was such a challenge because reliving it and going through it, it actually made my, uh, back and my physical situation mm. worse. It brought more pain and stress. And so the, the, the first time I tried to write it, I, um, I tore it up the second time I burnt it. <laughs> and then the third time with the help of my, my wife, um, that I'm married to now, we finally got that first uh, um, edition done, and now we just came out with the second edition. That and so it awesome. was it was hard to do, but in the end, going through it was actually pretty therapeutic. 
When did you realize you were a singer-songwriter in all this? Well, I had been playing guitar, you know, off and on for years since I was, you know, like 12. And I think Santa Cruz, you're required to play guitar. <laughs> yeah, it seems like everyone in Santa Cruz plays guitar. Yeah. And so I, um, you know, and I was just self-taught, played with my brothers and yeah. friends. And, you know, you know, I could... It got to the point where I could just pick up a guitar and listen to a song and start figuring it out and playing it. And and then I started making my own music. Um, and so I'd done that off and on for years. And I was never really like, music and guitar was never my life, you know. But after the fast, um, a flood of music came. And mm. I probably wrote 25 to 30 songs after the fast. And so the EP is has the same title. A different kind of strong, and it's a companion piece. So it's kind of the musical background of the book and of the story itself comes together. Yes. And now you've published all this. It now, by now, you've given us a little taste of all of this. Our listeners want to read this book. They want to hear this music. Where should they go to uh, to get the book and the music? Well, you could go to DanielLTrotter.com. And you'll see the um, products and, and information there. Um, and if there's anyone um, out there that feels like there's a need in their town, in their ward, in their stake, uh, would be happy to come out and, and speak. And you can be reached through the website as well. Yep. They can contact me through there. Um, they could also reach out to me on Facebook at uh, Daniel L. Trotter. Daniel Facebook. L. Trotter. And it's T-R-O-T-T-E-R. Uh, what would you say to people who are maybe a few years behind you, who are in this place of darkness, whether they're struggling with addiction, whether it just seems their life can't come together? You're a little bit on the other side of that. I'm sure you still have trials like the rest of us. Yes, but you're, I do. You're certainly on the other side of that darkness. What advice do you have for them? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to ask for help uh, beyond our own. And that's what I had to do. I had to, go, I had to go to God and I had to ask, what am I supposed to do? Um, and when we get that answer, we got to take action. Yeah. And so um, he could have said, go do a fast, but if I just stayed at home, it wouldn't have worked, right? And so you got to take action. And then I think... Um, our main part that we really have to understand, especially in those times of struggle, is to never give up. Mm. You just got to keep going and you got to, and, and don't give up. Um, that's our part. Um, and so. Um, that's great advice. Don't give up. Sometimes the only way through it is through it. Sometimes, you yeah. know, and it's worth it. it. It really is. I can look back and not that I'd like to go back to some of those points in my life, but all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting here on a microphone talking to people and, and trying to help them because you've been in, you know, their shoes yeah. and, and, and you're, you're now, um, ready to go out and, and really, um, inspire and help people and, and bring them closer to the Lord. I think that is the main message is that, you know, you have a heavenly father that loves you so much. It might yeah. not seem like it in those dark times. Where are you is what you would probably say. I know I said that a lot, but um, he loves you. He's, there's an answer for you. And um, there is nothing better out there than mm. the restored gospel 
of Jesus Christ. It has the truth. It'll get you through whatever you need to get through. It'll bring the answers to you. It'll bring you peace. It'll bring you joy and happiness. And at the same time, understand that, you know, life is still life. I still have struggles. I still have challenges. Um, I'm just um, maybe a little bit better equipped to, to, to deal with them. Yeah. But I still have my days where, um, you know, through all that I've been through, I'm 44 years old. I feel like I'm 80 sometimes. <laughs> I've had four back surgeries. Yeah. Um, you know, all of this stuff. And it really is true that, that through faith and, and trust in the Lord, we do need to endure. So don't give up. Awesome. And I got to say, we all have our different strengths within the gospel. We're all good at different things. I'll bet there is nobody better at Fast Sunday than you. I'll bet you are so good you know, at fasting. When, when, when I came back, um, there, was a, there was another uh, speaker that kind of mentored me, and, and he said, wow, 30 days? He said, wow. So when you came back to church, you didn't have to fast for like two and a half years, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, wow, I never thought of that. I don't think could, it works could, that way. Could I apply that? <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Oh, Daniel, that is just <laughs> awesome. Well, we're going to wrap up with the question that I don't think I prepared you for this, but we're going to wrap up with the question we ask all of our guests, which is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? That's a great question. Yeah. You know, it means, and it might sound cliche, but it means everything to me. Mm. Um, it is my my number one is following Heavenly Father and the Savior. And I'm so glad that I have a a wife that understands that Mm. and puts them first. The gospel to me is freedom. Um, The gospel to me is hope. Um, I want to do whatever I can to help build the kingdom here. And, And that's what the book, the music, the story, speaking, that's what it's all about. It is all about building the restored gospel here on earth and helping people to prepare for the second coming. Mm, I love it. He is a husband, a recovered addict, a writer, a singer-songwriter, a speaker, and a pretty darn amazing child of God. Daniel Altrotter, thank you for sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And my special thanks to Daniel L. Trotter for coming on and sharing his story. We really appreciate it, how inspiring it was. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, we had something actually kind of major happen in our family. I've shared before uh, the story of some of our kids' adoptions. In fact, my three daughters were on as guests, and one of them was my daughter, Chloe. And uh, Chloe was actually separated from a full brother, when she was younger, they grew up in separate uh, foster homes. And her brother, Cameron, we've gotten to know him over the years. And he's just an all around great kid. He just turned 19. I say kid, he's a man now. But uh, and he has some learning disabilities and some some challenges. He uh, grew up in the foster care system and now lives in a group home like our son David does. And he'll uh, most likely live in a group home where he can get lots of assistance and help for the rest of his life. Well, he was getting ready to time out of the system. 
and had just never gotten adopted. And we just really love Cameron. And a social worker involved in in uh, his life had come to us and had suggested that if there was any way, it might be a good fit to have him adopted into our family. And we considered it. We we really didn't have a good situation to bring him into our home. But now that he's moved into this this other group home and has all the services and support that he needs, uh, you know, the more we talked about it and we talked with him about it, we all agreed this would be a good idea. And this past Wednesday, we went to court. And as we went to court to make it official that we were adopting him, which would be our eighth child, you know, I was kind of in a weird place as we were driving in because I, I didn't feel anything super strong. You know, I had prayed about it and I felt okay. I felt like everything was fine and so did my wife. And, you know, but it felt very institutional. It didn't felt it didn't feel like family, family. And then we got in and we sat down uh, next to Cameron and the judge asked me why why we wanted to adopt him. And at that point, my heart was so filled with the spirit that I got really emotional. And I started to tear up talking about what a great young man he is. Then I heard my daughter, Chloe, crying, and then my wife, and she shared why why she thought as she cried, and the spirit was so overwhelming that yes, yes, this is our son. And then they asked Cameron, and as he shared how much he loved our family and how much he loves coming over here and just being a part of things, I received a very strong witness that this is my son. And Cameron has not been raised in the church. He doesn't have a lot of interest. I don't know that we'll ever be sealed on this earth or how it's all going to work. But I received a strong, strong witness at that moment that this is our son and that this is what is meant to be. In a surprise to us, I, or at least to me, maybe my wife knew, but I found out that he was taking on our last name, which he had said he didn't think he was going to do. And so he is now Cameron Rapier. And what a blessing it is to have him. And our other kids absolutely love Cameron. And what a blessing it was for Chloe to legally be reunited as part of the family. And through all this, we've gotten to know Chloe's, uh, Chloe and Cameron's mother a lot better. And she's doing such great things in her life. And, and what a blessing that is, too. She's just a great woman. And all these things come into our lives and really bless us. It's amazing what the Lord has in store and how hard it can be to just trust him. And sometimes things just seem so difficult in the moment. But when we really let go and just let him execute his plan, what he has in store for us is so far greater than anything that we can plan. And that's a lesson I learned this week. I had to let go and just trust him that he had this plan for Cameron, now I would say my son, (laughs) And for me and my wife and for our family, it's a real blessing, something I struggle with. But uh, when I do let go, gosh, the windows of, he- windows of heaven really do open up and pour forth. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We certainly appreciate it. If you think to leave us a review, it sure does help uh, other people to find the show whether that's on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen or on Facebook. We are on all the social media platforms, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter at least. We're definitely on those. Go check us out. And if you want to reach me directly, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. 
That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. And so until we meet again, please remember, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>